We begin tonight with the Middle East in flames. Israel has formally declared war after that unprecedented multi-pronged terror attack from Hamas, shocking the nation, catching its intelligence service by surprise. The death toll is mounting and at least 100 taken hostage. Several Americans are now confirmed to be among the dead. Starting at dawn yesterday, Hamas lobbed thousands of rockets from Gaza toward Israel. Armed militants breaching border crossings, gunning down soldiers and civilians neighborhoods in flames. Fire and fury in Gaza City. Lighting up the night sky. Relentless explosions and panic in the streets as Israel fights back. Israel retaliating with airstrikes on Gaza. More than 400 dead in the territory. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu warns there is a long and difficult war ahead. Ever since this war started a few weeks ago, uh, I've been asked a question again and again. Is this the end? Is this war in Israel a sign that Jesus is about to return? But I'll tell you, it's not close to the first time I've ever been asked that question. A little over 22 years ago, I made my first journey to the land of Israel. And what we wanted to do was establish a partnership, our, actually our first partnership, um, to bring the gospel to other parts of the world from good old Abilene, Texas. Now we have 95 partners all around the world, but that was our first partnership, and we wanted to join in to bring the gospel among the Jewish people. But when I returned from Israel, no one asked me about that visit. No one asked me about our new partnership. No one really asked me about the sites I, I got to see. Almost everyone asked me one form of this question. Is it the end? You see, when I visited Israel for the first time, it was during the second intifada, the second uprising. Tourists weren't in Israel at the time because almost daily suicide bombers were killing citizens in the land of Israel. But while I was there, two airplanes struck the towers of the World Trade Center. Another airplane went into the Pentagon. And I was being asked, is this the end? Is Jesus returning soon? Now listen to me. You could take my story to mean, well, that's a bad question to ask. I don't think so. I think it's a great question to ask. In fact, I know this is a great question to ask because it was a question asked of Jesus and he answered the question. In the 24th chapter of Matthew, it says, as Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? What will be the sign of the end of the age? In other words, is this the end, Jesus? And you'll find, I hope you read it this week, chapters 24 and chapter 25 of Matthew, you're going to find Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't chastise them. He doesn't reprimand them for asking the question. He not only answers the question, but he expounds upon it for two entire chapters. But as you read the two chapters, what you're going to find is they're really just an expansion on one idea. Verse 4, Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. Make sure you're ready for my return. And he says in Matthew 24, there are going to be false prophets and false messiahs. There's going to be wars and rumors of war. See that in the midst of all that's going on in the world, see that no one leads you astray. And then to make sure we don't miss the primary point of what he is telling us, Jesus in chapter 25 tells us three stories. 
Three of his famous parables meant to expand upon certain teachings. Now, a little aside here. Did you know that a little bit, a little over a third of Jesus' teachings were stories? Have you ever wondered why that is? Let's not miss the significance of this. Stories play an important part of shaping our minds, shaping our thoughts, shaping our philosophies, both in the scripture, but even more so in our culture today. Most of the philosophical thought coming in our culture are coming in two ways. It is coming through the stories of media, coming through music. And the reason is simple. Story and music are powerful mediums of communication. If you and I want to wholeheartedly follow Jesus, and I, I know you're here because it's exactly what you want, but if we want to follow Jesus, then we've got to learn to interact with the stories of our culture. Because if we're not careful, the stories tend to get us just to turn our brains off, just to kind of passively finally relax and things start to hit us. And we have to learn as we interact with the stories, we have to view them from a biblical framework because the stories are so prevalent. So what we're gonna do this Christmas season is a little bit different. We are going to interact with some of the cultural stories of Christmas. And we're going to compare it to the Jesus story. And we're going to look at the good, the bad, and the ugly of all this. I mean, come on. Christmas movies are a big deal, are they not? And so what we're going to do at Christmas is simple. We're going to go to the movies. We're going to call it creatively Christmas at the movies. And we're going to look at some of the most popular movies that you are going to watch you can bring your kids, it doesn't matter, it's all gonna be great. And we're gonna look at the truth, because there's a lot of truths revealed, and we're gonna look at some of the lies. Like I'm just gonna tell you right now, just a simple one. Angels don't get their wings the way they talk about in It's a Wonderful Life. It's a lie, but it's not the most significant. There's great truth in that movie, there's some lies. We gotta learn to be able to discern the difference all the time. And I know sometimes you say, well, David, is it, are you gonna talk about the Bible? This will be one of the most radically biblical series we ever do. Here's what I'm asking you to do. I am confident that God's put people in your lives that need hope in Jesus Christ. There's a reason you are where you are. There's a reason you work where you work. There's a reason you're among the ball teams you're a part of. There's a reason you're in your neighborhood. There's a reason you're in your family. God wants to use you to help other people have a chance of hope. And there's a way you can do that, it's real simple. I am confident that there will be people who would be willing to join you at this series that might not come any other time, and I want you to invite them. You can invite more than one, but I want you to invite one person, and the way you do it is real simple. Okay, you ready? I want you to get your phone out. Go ahead, move it right now, get your phone out. We got 30 minutes, it'll be a long 30 minutes you don't get your phone out. If you're online right now, North Campus, get your phone out. Online, they're dropping a link. There's a QR code right in front of you in the chair back. All you gotta do is take a picture of that QR code, hit it, and this slide's gonna pull up. And before you leave, I want you to text one person with that slide and say, I hope you'll join me in this. The only rule is they can't go to another church. We are reaching people, wanting to reach people with hope and life that aren't part of church that don't know Jesus Christ yet. Amen? We want to see their lives change. So I want everyone, you can do this, we can all reach out and do this. And the reason we're doing it, believe it or not, is because of one of the stories Jesus told when answering the question is at the end. See, if we go back to Matthew, but this time we go to verse 25. Jesus starts telling one of the three stories to illustrate what he wants us to get about the end. And it says, then... 
Then, right before the return of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish. Say foolish. And five of them were wise. Say wise. Which one do you want to be? See, Jesus has already got you right now in the story, right? You're paying attention. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all, all 10 of them, became drowsy and slept. Now, most of us miss the point of the story because we all want to know why is the groom late? Of all the things the groom doesn't do at a wedding, come on, you don't show up late. My wife and I were married a little over 38 years ago, and I am telling you, my girl told me when I needed to be where I needed to be and how I needed to look when it happened. And all the guys said, amen. There was no why in explaining that to me. The why was because she said so, and that's what I needed to do. I've done a lot of wedding ceremonies since that time. Not a whole lot has changed. And so you look at this and go, how in the world was he delayed? Weddings in the days of Jesus were utterly different than they are today. A bride and groom would get engaged, and that engagement was legally binding. But then the groom had a job, and that job was he had to go and prepare a place for his bride. Some of you are hearing what Jesus said about his return. I'll go and prepare a place for you. It's a, it's a picture of a wedding. He would go and prepare a place, which was normally an add-on to the family house. So ladies, I want you to think about this. You get engaged, he goes and prepares a place for you to live, and you are going to live with your mother-in-law until she dies. Some of you ladies right now are thinking, praise God, I do not live in that day. And all the grateful women said, don't do it, don't. <laughs> Once the groom had the home prepared, it could take a year, it could take multiple years, the reason being, they were doing things real radical in the time, like trying to eat, things such as that. But once they had the home prepared, they would set the date for the celebration that would be at the newly prepared place. The bride knew the day. She didn't know what time he was coming. He could come in the morning, he could come at noon, he could come at three, he could come at six, he could come at midnight. He came at his discretion. Listen, the only job of the bridesmaids those are the unmarried women, the virgins talked about in the story. The only job was to have lamps and torches for the processional. That's it. No engagement parties. There were no showers. They didn't have to plan the trip that people do today before weddings and all that kind of stuff. They didn't have to gather around all the people of the wedding party on the day of the wedding. They had nothing to do. They had one job. Lamps. They fell asleep. But at the midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Now stop right there for a minute. The focus of the story, 10 bridesmaids, five wise, five foolish. But all the bridesmaids were asleep. They weren't ready for the coming. Not in totality. They weren't watching for it. But somebody was. We don't know if it was one person, we don't know if it was a group of people, but we know they were awake and watching for the groom. And not only were they watching for the groom, guess what? They were helping other people get ready for his coming. Might I suggest that part of our role as followers of Jesus isn't just to make sure we are wise and prepared, though that's huge. 
Might I suggest that we're supposed to be those who are awake and helping other people be ready? That's the reason we live to bless people, beginning with prayer, listening, eating, having coffee with them, sharing our story, serving them. It's why we do things that seem so small, but maybe the Lord used it in a big way, just to invite them to a series like Christmas at the movies. Verse 7, Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Hey, we don't have enough. We don't have enough for us. We don't have enough for you. You need to go to the store and you need to buy some for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Notice this. And those who were ready went in with him. Afterwards, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open up to us. And he answered, truly, truly, I do not know you. And then the summary then the answer to the question Jesus was asked, is this the end? Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Let the story sink in. Ten bridesmaids, five wise, five foolish. And all of us should be asking right now, how, how do I make sure I'm wise? How do I make sure that I'm among those who are ready for the end? How do we live wisely? From what I can see in the story, from what I can see in the totality of Scripture, you and I have to embrace what, listen to the word, a paradoxical tension. The Scripture teaches us this. Jesus could come today. I mean, it could happen while we're here. Are we ready? But the scripture also says he might not come back in our lifetime. Was that not the issue with the bridesmaids in the story? He was delayed in their coming and they were not all prepared for the delay. See, we have to be those who are prepared for both. We must be prepared for both suddenly and to persevere. And you're saying, well, David, which one is it? Yes, it's both. There's a tension in that. But that tension is meant to keep us in a place of balance. It's a place of strength. It's a place of beauty. Sometimes truths in the Bible are given to us in a paradoxical tension. So if I ask you, when Jesus was on the earth, was he God or was he man? Your answer is yes, both. Both fully God and fully man. Did Jesus come to the world full of grace or did he come full of truth? Yes, both, grace and truth. If we give up on either side of that tension, we lose the strength. Very similar to the tension of what keeps the Golden Gate Bridge up. We lose the beauty of what God wants to form in our lives, like a guitar string that's perfectly tuned with tension on both ends. We must be those who are prepared for both both suddenly and to persevere. So we have a war in Israel. And I know naturally we're thinking, well, is this the end? Could be. It really could be. We don't know the day or the hour. Be prepared. But come on, stop for a second. What if it really is close? What if he's about to finish what he has begun? And I, I am telling you, this world isn't all there is. 
And sometimes when it's delayed, we can think, well, this is kind of all that's going to be. And these longings inside of us, we think, are just foolish longings. No, the scripture says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has begun to conceive what God has prepared for those who love him. And he is coming, and he's going to fulfill the longings of our heart far beyond what we can think or imagine. It's going to happen. Are we ready? Are we ready? Are we ready if it happened today? Are we ready if we have to wait for our whole lifetime? See, as the bride waiting for the bridegroom, do you realize according to Scripture, we're not actually, quote-unquote, in the full relationship with Jesus yet. We're engaged. It's legally binding. But we're engaged. But he's coming for his bride. And we've got to be prepared. The whole point, Matthew 24 and 25 Make sure you're prepared. Make sure you're prepared for the suddenly. Make sure you're prepared for the waiting. Be prepared for both. And I think sometimes when we think about the end, we, we miss the idea of the end. Because what we do is we think that our job in, in talking about the coming of Jesus is to figure out the how and the when of his coming. We have all sorts of eschatological thoughts. How do you like that for a big word? I threw that one out pretty good, didn't I? For a boy from Pampa, it's big. Eschatological is just a word that means talk about the end, talk about the coming age. And often our eschatological thoughts are, let's be honest, are merely just kind of playing around with thoughts, but they don't affect our lives. Any belief should impact our life, but sometimes we're just more concerned about, is this event a sign of the end? Am I amillennial, premillennial, postmillennial? Am I pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib? And we have all these thoughts, but they don't really impact our lives. I saw it in a big way years ago. I was part of another church, and I was on staff of that church, and we had a group within our church, pretty good size, pretty influential, who became convinced that Jesus was gonna come back at the end of that year. Obviously, they were wrong, but at the time, they really believed that by the end of the year, Jesus was going to come back. And man, they were gathering people up. They were talking about, they were dissecting prophecies and how this event lined up with this. And they were doing all this kind of talk. One day, we got a call from one of the families, and they said, man, we need your help. I said, what do you need? Our son just dropped out of high school. And without us knowing, he took his college fund, all his savings, and he has gone to New York City. And he is there helping people because he believes that Jesus is coming back by the end of the year. And we said, what do you want us to do? He said, we want you to help us contact him and help him come home and finish high school and get ready for college. Now, everything within me wanted to say certain things at that moment, but their kid was in New York City, right? And so absolutely, we'll do everything we can help. But in my mind, I'm thinking, but for months and months and months you've been saying in your house he's coming back by the end of the year y'all been looking at all the prophecies you've been lining it all up and he's been listening to you he's the only one who actually believes because he acted on it for the, everybody else it was just kind of an intellectual game listen to me it's not an intellectual game he's coming back and not only do we have to be ready, we got to help other people be ready as well in their life. Like, so is this war in Israel a sign of the end? I don't know. Could be. 
If that's the question we're asking, we're asking the wrong question according to Jesus. The question Jesus was asked is, okay, as you look at all the things going on in the world, are you ready if these things are signs that he is coming back? See, I don't know the day, I don't know the hour, but this I know. Jesus could come today and we need to be ready because according to the scripture, he will judge the living and the dead. This week, when you read the end of Matthew 25, he tells the story that people are gonna be like the sheep and the goats. And those who made certain decisions are gonna go with him and those who did not make that decision are gonna depart from him. Only those who have said yes to be his follower. That's why baptism is such a huge deal among us because it's an confessional act where we tell people, I've said yes to be a follower of Jesus. Only those who are running hard after him are going to go to life eternal. The rest will be separated from God forever. Paying themselves for the sins because they refuse to let what Jesus did pay for their sins. And as we look at issues of life, the question Jesus implores us to ask is, am I ready if it's today? But there's also another question. Am I also committed to persevere in full faith if he doesn't return in my lifetime? Suddenly and persevere. We must be ready for both. Now, you might be asking in the middle of this, okay, if we're supposed to be prepared, we don't know the day or the hour. It could be today. It could be 100 years from now. Is there anything about this war in Israel that should even interest us? Should I even pay attention to it? Listen to me. We absolutely need to pay attention to it. Even if the war in Israel is not a sign of the end, like he's coming back soon, we are called to contend against the demonic spirit of the day. Are you ready to listen to me? Catch this. From a purely humanistic standpoint, let's, let's take scripture out of the deal for a second. And people are asking the question, does Israel have a right to exist? The answer is they have just as much right to exist from a purely humanistic standpoint as any other nation in the Middle East. Did you know that every nation in the Middle East that exists today did not exist prior to World War I? All those nations were created because of war and because of the act of governments. So what happened was in world, prior to World War I, the whole Middle East, actually a large area, was part of what's called the Ottoman Empire. It was a huge area. Well, the Ottomans joined in with the Germans in World War I. They lost. And as often happens in war, the spoils went to the victors and the allies took the Ottoman Empire. Instead of colonizing it, as would have been done in the past, they actually began to help form nations uh, around certain people groups. Not every people group got a nation. Not every group got a nation. But all the nations have been formed, like Saudi Arabia. Some of us think Saudi Arabia has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, formed in 1932 as a nation. Lebanon, 1926. Modern Egypt, 1922. Jordan, 1946. Israel, 1948. All nations on planet Earth have come to have their current borders by two ways. War or acts of government. No nation exists that doesn't have that, including Israel. Israel was on the oversight after World War I under the Brits. 
The Brits wouldn't make a nation out of them after they promised. They punted it to the United Nations, and in a miraculous way, the United Nations voted for them. And I know you're asking right now, David, what about the Palestinians? The Palestinians are a people we should be praying for in a big way because I think they're victims of their own people. But they're not the only people group in the midst of the Ottoman Empire that didn't get their own nation. They're the only ones you hear about. Any of you ever heard of the Kurds? Probably not, because no one's talking about how the Kurds should have their own nation. They're the largest people group in the world that do not have their own nation. They were left out of the partitions of land because of certain political reasons. So listen to me. Israel as a nation has just as much right to exist and defend itself, just like any other nation in the Middle East, actually any other nation in the world. But we are not a people who just think that way, amen? We think biblically, and from a biblical standpoint, God still has a purpose for the Jewish people. End of Romans 11, it says, as regards to the gospel, the Jews are enemies for your sake. But as regards to election, they are beloved on account of their forefathers, on account of the patriarchs. Notice this. For the gifts and calling of God are what? Irrevocable. God still has a plan. He still has a purpose for the Jewish people. He said earlier in Romans chapter 11, now if Israel's trespass means riches for the world, that's us, we're the world, right? So somehow what Israel did wrong brought riches to us, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, Gentiles are just people who aren't Jewish, how much more, somebody shout more, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Listen to me, this is huge. What's the trespass? The trespass is that Israel rejected Jesus as their Messiah. Because they rejected him, they handed him to the Romans. Make no mistake, it was both Jews and Gentiles that crucified Jesus. But it was the Gentiles who, I mean, I'm sorry, the Jews who initiated it. It was at the hands of the Gentiles, the Romans, where it came about. But their trespass is what took Jesus to the cross. That's why he went to the grave. That's why he overcame the grave. All our hope, the reason people were baptized today was because of the trespass of the Jewish people. It has meant riches for the world. It's been riches for us as Gentiles. But then the promise, how much more, how greater the riches will be when what happens? When their full inclusion comes. A day, a day is coming when the Jewish people's eyes will be opened. The spirit of stupor that Isaiah prophesied about will be lifted from them and they will see Jesus as their given Messiah and their hearts will turn to him. And listen to me, if you think great things have happened in the world because of Jesus, the greatest move of God through Jesus Christ has yet to come. The greatest work of God in our world is still ahead and it is tied to when the eyes of the Jewish people are open to their Messiah, Jesus. Listen to me. The enemy knows this scripture. The enemy knows this reality and he has been trying to destroy the Jewish people for literally thousands of years. You want evidence of it? The Holocaust. The spirit to destroy the, the Jewish people has never gone away. And because of this war in Israel, the hand of the enemy is being seen. And all of a sudden, boom, we're thinking, wow, where did all this, we hear the word anti-Semitism come from? It's like it appeared suddenly. It didn't appear suddenly. It's always been there. The enemy's always been working. Core to radical Islam is the destruction of Israel. 
So when people chant, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. You know what that means? From the Jordan River to the Mediterranean. Who exists in that area? Israel. We're going to push them into the sea and we're going to eradicate. It's a chant for the death of the Jewish people and the homeland of the Jewish people. That's core to radical Islam. It's not the only thing core to radical Islam, but it is foundational to radical Islam today. I don't believe, I know, in fact, that not every Muslim in the world believes that. Please hear that. But there is a large group of people who have been radicalized that believe that. But it's not just radical Islam. There are people around our world right now who are chanting that chant. And I believe they know what they're chanting. It's part of what the enemies want to do to destroy the Jewish people so that God cannot fulfill his promises and bring the greater riches to the world he wants to come to Jesus Christ. And what I'm asking you to do as we look at this war in Israel and we ask the question naturally, is it the end? We make sure we're ready and we help other people be as ready as possible. But at the same time, don't minimize this. We pray. Pray. Pray for the destruction of this demonic thing that would want to destroy a people. Come on. Have you ever wondered why of all the people groups that have ever existed, why is everybody after the Jews? I'm telling you why. Because God has a plan that he's going to bring greater riches. If you long to see the world utterly transformed from Jesus Christ, you've got to pray for the Jewish people because his promises are tied to them. Pray with me for the defeat of this demonic spirit. Pray with me for the destruction of Hamas. Either through battle or, here's what I'm praying, I'm praying that there be a radical revelation of Jesus, they'd all come to repentance, lay down their arms, and give themselves over. I'm, that's what I'm praying for. But if that does not occur, then may there be victory over this demonic thing that's leading them. I'm praying for the government of Israel to walk with wisdom and anointing. They're trying to do something so delicate. They're trying to win a war. A people that are bent on their eradication while also protecting civilians. Can we ask for wisdom and anointing for that? Can we pray for the governments of the world to stand strong against terrorism? To stand strong against what's out there right now? Because I'm, I'm praying for the protection of Jewish soldiers. When I first went to Israel and I met with the family of one of my dear friends now, Eitan Shishkov, I held a baby. It was one of his first grandkids who is right now in Gaza as a soldier. I know some of them. I know their families. I know their parents and their grandparents. Can we pray for their protection? I'm praying for the people of Israel. And this is what our partners have asked us to pray. Pray that God would use this atrocity to open Jewish eyes to the reality of their Messiah. If you want to know what our partners in Israel are praying, that's what they're praying as they show the love of Jesus. But we're also praying for the people of Gaza. That there would be a revelation of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, and it would cause them to want to be a people who walk in peace. I'm praying. For God to take what the enemy has meant for evil in this situation and bring good out of it. Amen? And I want you to know, hear me, we have partners. Partners we've established since I went for the first time 22 years ago who are seeking to do just that. We have partners that I can't tell you a lot about because they're very secretive. 
They're underground believers in the Arab world. They are leaving their places and they are going into Gaza right now to try to love on people, bring whatever aid they can bring in with them and share the hope of Jesus Christ. Several of them have lost their lives in Gaza since they went in there, all for the sake of the gospel. And that's humbling to me. We've got our Jewish brothers who are taking supplies and they're doing all sorts of things to show the love of Jesus Christ to soldiers, to show them to families. They are seizing this time, but make no mistake, they are bringing the words of the gospel. We are a small part of that. I can tell you that we have sent almost $200,000 to our various partners to help show the love of Jesus in the midst of this atrocity. And we're asking God to take something as not valuable as money. I think you know what I mean by that, right? Something that doesn't have etern ultimately eternity tied to it and use it for the sake of bringing eternity to the lives of people. I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to pray. And if you wanted to ask me, David, is this war in Israel a sign of the end? I'll tell you right now so you don't have to ask me. I don't know. And I'm going to tell you, anybody who tells you they do know, you probably need to back away from them and not listen too much. Because I think we're getting off on the wrong stuff. No one knows except God himself. When it comes to the end, I'll tell you, I'm torn. I want him to come back. Like right now, he could come back. Everything within me, we just like to see him cut the sky and come down on that great white horse, the trumpet blaring, the whole world bowing, and all this stuff we live in done. And I'd be taken up with him, and my family be taken up with him, and you taken up with him. I, I long for it. But part of me asked him to wait. Because there are people I love that don't know him. There's people in our community that don't have hope in Jesus. They're not ready for that day. And so I ask him to wait. I say, David, which is it? Do you want him to come or you want him to wait? Yes. I have to trust him that he knows the very best moment. And until then, I just want to be prepared. Prepared that today is the day. Prepared that if he doesn't come back in my lifetime, I was talking to Don Finto the other day. Don's our, one of our spiritual fathers. He's 93 years old. By the way, I know this is going to shock those of you who know Don. He's going to Israel, like right now. Like he found a way to get in. He wants to go serve. It's like, Don, it's a war zone. I don't care. He said, I'm old. I'm going to die someday soon anyway. Um, but I've asked Don, I said, Don, are you shocked Jesus hasn't come back yet? And he goes, yeah, I am. He said, that's okay. There's more people we're reaching. There's more people that we have hope. So it's okay, but I'm shocked. I just want to be prepared. I want to help people be ready. I don't, I don't want to just be the wise bridesmaids who make sure I'm ready. I want to be the person who's making the midnight cry. He's coming. The groom is coming. And I think you want to be those same people. And so before we go, 
I just want us all to bow our heads. North campus, south campus, online. Let's just pray. We're going to pray for Israel. Now, have you given your life? Are you ready? If he came right now. And there's another side of that coin. It could be that he doesn't come, but our life is over. If we die, it's the same as if Jesus comes back. Are we ready? And the good news, the great news is we can be ready. He wants everybody to be ready. But the way we're ready is we say yes, not that we believe in Jesus, but that we become his follower. I give my life to Jesus, and he gives me his life in return. It's what baptism represents. Baptism is not a cleansing. It's a picture of a death and a resurrection. When a person is baptized, they're saying, I have given my life over to Jesus, and he has taken the old me, and he has put that old me to death, and he has raised me up as a new person in him. And that happens the moment we say yes to Jesus. And then we tell people about it through the act of baptism. You will say yes right now. You can do it, North Campus, South Campus, anyone. All you got to do is say right now, I'm a sinner. I can't fix myself. I can't do enough good things. But what Jesus did is more than enough for me. Jesus, I give my life to you. And I say yes to be your follower. If you said that for the first time today, praise be to God. Here's what you do. Inside your park news is a little QR code, different than the one on the chair backs. And I want you to take that QR code inside the park news. It's going to be flashed on our online campus right now. You fill it out because it's the next step to baptism. And we're going to talk to you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, how you take your next steps, and we're going to grow together in everything God has for us because there is abundant life now and abundance of abundance in eternity given our lives to Jesus Christ. And man, we celebrate that with you. But for the rest of us, there's something for us in the story. Are we wise or are we foolish? We say, yes, I'm ready. I'm wise. I've got enough. But then what I want us to pray is this. Let us not be asleep. Would we be those who are awake? Come on. Would we be those who are awake helping others have the opportunity? We can't make anyone choose anything, but we can help other people have the opportunity. Would you just ask God right now to show you the people in your world, people that you can invite to Christmas at the movies. You can do other things with. You can bless in some form or fashion, but would you say, I just want you to pray right now, God, let me be awake. Let me be awake. Let me not be asleep. Let me be ready and let me be awake and alert, helping others know. And would you commit to pray for what's going on in Israel right now? All the things we talked about. Jesus, we love you immensely. We want to see you. We want to be with you. We want you to come back. But we want as many people as possible to be ready. Use us to help people be ready. Use us to give hope. Let us be awake and helping others. And I ask, oh God, that you would use this atrocity in the land of Israel to open their eyes to you, to open their eyes to the reality that you are the one that was promised to them. You are the Messiah of the Tanakh. Let them see you and let them know and bring your greater riches to the world. We commit, oh God, to be awake and we commit, oh God, to join in what you want to do among the Jewish people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.